Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you're moving in this church. Thank you for the ways that you have moved, the ways that you are moving, the ways that you continue to move. Lord, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, I ask, uh, I just ask this morning that you would move. Lord, we don't ever want to, to come to church and just do church. We want more. And so, Lord, I ask that you would move in us. I ask this morning that you would give us the grace uh, to, to just begin to see ourselves the way you see us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. That was nice, Inda. Thank you. I have been coming here 20 years. That is crazy. Um, it feels like a really long time. Uh, yeah. So I love this place. I do. I love the youth here. I love, I, I, I will say this. I was so proud this weekend of uh, uh, just, I think, the, what Emma and Rebecca did and being able to put on a youth conference in Ireland. I never in a million years would have guessed that that would have been something that would have been possible. When we first came over, there wasn't even teen camp. Teen camp was a thing because we had no, I mean, the kids that were in the, the super kids camp, they had gotten too old and we didn't know what to do with them. So they're like, all right, I guess we'll do, guess we'll come up with something. So we did teen camp and it was terrible the first year. <laughs> so bad. I remember Sarah was here the first year we did it. We were over at the, uh, I think we were over at the Astro in the locker room. I think that's, do y'all call them locker rooms? What time do I need to be done also? That's important information. Okay, I'm not going to go that long. Okay, you're good. Uh, so there was, there's like a little locker room up on the Astro, the pitch that's up on the top, and we were crammed in that locker room the first day, and Sarah and I went home, and we went back to Tracy's because we were staying at Tracy's and cried. <laughs> and that is not a joke. We legitimately cried. We were like, I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed, and that went horrible. And so then we talked to Enda and Angela. We were like, we got to do something different. So then we went back to the church, and that was when the church was uh, down the road, and so we went to the church, and it was, it was way better, but, but it was still chaos. And so to see, like, even we'll watch pictures. We follow social media, and we'll watch pictures of what is happening here and just in the church and in, in, uh, in, in the youth and just are so, so incredibly proud. I think what Inda and Angela, you have an amazing group of people that get to lead you. I, I love Inda and Angela. I've known them for a really long time, and Emma and Rebecca and all that they're doing, I, I think that your church is really blessed. And to see what the Lord is doing is just so, it's incredible. It's fun for us. I've brought different teams. So we brought youth teams. We brought, I brought youth kids to come over here and minister to Irish youth. And then I've brought work teams. So we've come over and we've done work around the church. And then this year we get to bring a team that gets to just do ministry. And it's just a small group of us. And, and I just, I love this place. I've loved it for as long as I can remember. I brought my six-year-old here a couple of years ago. Uh, because I, I legitimately love Innescorthy. And I know that's funny for you to hear because most people that are in Innescorthy are like, why Innescorthy? And it's like, I don't know. I love you people, I guess. People say that about Abilene too. So we're from Abilene and people go, why Abilene? And it's like, I don't know. I guess it's flat um, and we don't get rain. Yesterday we were at the store and one of the ladies was like, oh, I'm sorry the weather's so terrible. And I was like, listen, we're from Texas it was like 80 degrees when we left, okay? So that's like 30 Celsius. And we left and we got to come here and we were so glad to wear coats. <laughs> like I just missed a jacket. Um, so uh, I, I wrestle with this question. And so I, I'm just gonna talk about it this morning. This question of God seeing us. 
Uh, I feel often, I kind of feel insignificant. I wrestle a lot of times with, I've grown up in the church, so my whole life, my dad's, my dad's a pastor. Uh, I've grown up in church, and I went on my first mission trip to Mexico when I was in like fifth grade. I came over here as a 14-year-old, and I've gone out of the country on missions every year but one for the last 15 years. And I, I, I've just grown up in this, and yet still I wrestle often with this question of like, God, you got a lot going on. Like, you got a lot you're dealing with. You're, you're God, and, and there's a lot of humans. And God, do you, do you see what's happening in my life? And they're like, something bad will happen, or it'll be kind of a frustrating season, or my kids will be really sick, or work will be kind of hard, and there will be a tough situation i got to deal with, or I've got to counsel somebody through. And I'll just ask God, like, God, do you see me? And, and I wrestle with that question. And I know, like, philosophical, like, I know God sees me. But I, I think of like the math. Okay, you, there are 7 billion people on the planet. 7 billion. Okay, so they say anything over a million and we don't, our brain's like short circuit. We can't understand what's, what a billion is. So here's a good example. One, 7 billion seconds ago, it was 1797. Okay, if you stood on the equator and you took 7 billion steps, you would circle the earth 106 times. You'd circle the earth 106 times. Okay, y'all know what a thimble is? Y'all so? So a thimble holds two milliliters of water, a little tiny amount of water. If you filled up seven billion thimbles and you poured them out, so that would be really tedious, wouldn't it? You just get it and then just dink and just, and you did it seven billion times, you would fill up five Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's how big seven billion is. And so I wrestle with God. I'm like, God, I'm just one in seven billion. Like you've got seven billion other people that you get to deal with. And and I'm I'm just one of them. And often in our relationship with God, how we get is we begin to feel like he's real impersonal. Like he's God way, way up here. And I'm like me in Abilene, right? I got like my wife and my two daughters and my dumb dog and like, that's, that's my world, and God's way up here, and I'm way down here, and we begin to feel, we, most people feel this at some point. Whoa, I almost fell. We begin to feel insignificant. We begin to feel like in the big grand scheme of everything that God has going on, I'm just little me, and we begin to feel insignificant, and we begin to feel like that's how God views us. Like, we think God's way up there, and so I'm just way down here, and I'm just little me. And we get to this place that we believe that God was big enough to, like, breathe the universe into existence and just speak creation out of nothing. But for us, we're just here. And so we, that John 3.16 is, like, the most quoted Bible verse ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. And what we picture when we think for God so loved the world is not God grabbing us and giving us a hug. What we picture is God grabbing a globe and just hugging a globe for God so loved the world. And so then we have hard times, right? And we think, well, God's got a lot going on. Yes, my kid's really sick, but God's got, you know, he's dealing with like world hunger and he's dealing with wars. I don't want to take my little measly issue and give it to him. And we think, well, my finances, they're kind of real out of whack. But, you know, God's like dealing with everything that's happening in Africa or everything happening in a different part of the world. And and I don't want to inconvenience God with the stuff that's going on in my life. And so what we do is we frequently will dismiss God's ability or his desire to influence our life. 
Because we feel like in the grand scheme of all that God has going on, that we are insignificant. And we have this feeling of insignificance that we just can't shake and we just can't get over. Let's see if I got that. There we go. So we just dismiss God's ability or his desire to influence our life because we feel like in the whole grand scheme of all that God's having to deal with, that we're just insignificant in that. And we, we project our own feelings of insignificance as this one in seven billion, and we think that's how God begins to view us. And so we wrestle with this question. Do I actually believe that I am important to God? Do I believe that I matter? Do I believe that in everything that's going on, this is a question we all wrestle with. Do I believe that I matter? And so today I want us to wrestle with that question. Do I actually believe? Now here's the deal. This is church, okay? You came on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and we would all, if I asked you this question and I said, I need you to respond, everyone would say, yes, I believe that. But if we're honest, Forget church. If we're honest with ourselves and our life and our situations and our kids and our marriages and our friendships and our relationships and our jobs and all that we have going on, do we actually believe this? Do we actually believe that we matter? Because the answer to this question shapes everything that we do. If I believe that I matter to God, it shapes how I live tomorrow. It shapes how I pursue my wife. And we've been together 13 years. We've been together 16. We've been married 13. It shapes how I do my job and how I parent. If I believe that I matter, I do everything differently. But if I believe that I do not matter to God, that will affect everything too. If I really believe that I don't matter, then I get to the point that I just, if God doesn't care about me, if the answer to that is no, then why should I care about him? Like, like if, I, if I believe that I don't matter to him, why, why do church? Like, why, why do any of it? And so we feel this separation from God, and we begin, if we answer no to this, then we begin to put more and more distance between us. And see, here's the problem. We do believe God sees everything. Right? We see it all over the Bible. We see God sees everything. It says this in Psalms 147.4. He determines the numbers of stars and calls them each by name. Okay, that's fun, right? That's like, oh, we should put that on a cover. You see that on like a poster and you're like, that's neat. That's a crazy verse. Yeah. Okay, this is the Milky Way. Maybe, there you go. That's the Milky Way galaxy. It's the galaxy that Earth is in. You are there, okay? Somewhere. That's the Milky Way galaxy. It is estimated there are a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. We just said we can't understand anything more than a million, so we don't understand a hundred billion. Okay? Here's the deal, though. The Milky Way galaxy, it says in Psalms 147 that God knows every one of the hundred billion stars and calls them each by name. How about this? The Milky Way galaxy is one of 10 trillion galaxies in the known universe. So we know that there are 10 trillion galaxies in the universe, and the Milky Way is just a, just a normal one of them. So if there are 100, mil, 100 billion stars in the Milky Way, and there are 10 trillion galaxies, you know how many stars are in the known universe? One septillion, right? 
That is 24 zeros. That is one zero 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 zero. That is one septillion. And Psalms one forty seven says, God not only put them there, He knows them each by name. How weird would it be to name one septillion stars? Right? He's running out of stuff. He just naming them random things one septillion stars and psalms 147 says he calls them each by name see we've always believed that god has been somebody who sees really christians the church would never say that god doesn't see the universe we believe that god sees the universe what we wrestle with is we think that god sees it all in this one grand picture like we looked at the milky way we believe it's this one grand picture but we're just a part of it we're just somewhere in there, somewhere as God looks down from his throne with his big beard and his old self, and he's looking down. We believe, you know, he just sees us somewhere as a part of everything else that's going on. But that's not how it is. The first place that the Bible says that God is somebody who sees is in Genesis. So it's the story of Abraham. Have you ever heard the story of Abraham? Abraham has been promised that he's going to be the father of many nations. Okay, it's going to say, I mean, tons of people are going to come from Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Here's the problem. They can't get pregnant. So he's been told, hey, I promise you that you're going to be the father of many nations, which would require many children. And he can't have one. And so him and Sarah, they get to this place that they're frustrated. And, and so they, they come up with a decision that, that Abraham is going to have a child with one of their slaves, a girl named Hagar, which sounds crazy for us to think about now. That's not that crazy in Bible times. So in Genesis, that's not that wild of a thing. So Abraham and Hagar, Hagar gets pregnant. Okay. So then Sarah, who said it was okay for Hagar to get pregnant by Abraham, she gets mad. And so she beats Hagar. And Hagar, not liking being beaten, runs. And so she goes on the run. And as she's on the run, she meets up with an angel of the Lord. And he says, hey, you got to go back. The Lord heard you. And then it says this in Genesis 16, 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. So the first reference to God being somebody who sees us as individuals is from a slave who was beaten by her master because she got pregnant by the other master and is on the run all alone, pregnant and alone completely. And that is the first reference we see in the Bible to God being the God who sees us as individuals. But then we're always like, we as Christians, we like to give excuses for stuff. It's like, well, yeah, God saw Hagar, but you know, she's in the Bible. What is that? That doesn't mean anything for me. You're not the only people who've ever wrestled with that question. I'm not the only person. The disciples, the people very closest to Jesus, the ones who, as Jesus is walking through his life, are there beside him day in and day out, they wrestled with that same thing. Because Jesus is there telling the disciples all throughout the New Testament, hey guys, I know I'm here now, but eventually I'm not going to be. I know you see me and I'm walking with you, but eventually I'm going to go away. And so the disciples, that was their connection, right? Their connection to God the Father was through Jesus standing beside them. And there Jesus is saying, I'm not going to stand beside you anymore. 
And so they had to be wrestling with this question. If you are not there, how will God see me? If you are not there beside me, how is God going to see me? And so Jesus comforts them with this in Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth far more than sparrows. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, hey, listen, listen, you matter. I mean, if a dumb bird, if you were here yesterday, you heard of my hatred for birds. I've got an intense hatred for birds. They're useless creatures. And here Jesus says in Matthew 10, listen, listen. If if he cares about the birds, how much more is he going to care about you? He says the Father sees you, and you matter to him. He sees you. And and this proclamation that, that he gave to the disciples in Matthew 10 is just for us too. That the Father sees you. So you put your name. The Father sees Enda. The Father sees Sarah. The Father sees Paul. The Father sees Damien. The Father sees you. And you matter to him. And Jesus painted us this picture so that we could really understand the gravity of it. So he wanted to give us this picture of the birds, okay? So he says in Matthew 10, every sparrow that falls from the sky, God sees, and he cares. So every year in Abilene, which we're from, where we're from, every year there is this time of year that these black, ugly birds called grackles. Do y'all have grackles here? Okay, right? They sound horrible. It's because they are. They're from the pits of hell. So... Every year, these grackles will come by the tens of thousands. I mean, they are, you, you can see, it is, the sky is black with grackles. It is horrifying. It is frightening and scary. And they come in all at one point of the year. And they're all there. What that verse says is that if one fell, not like a bunch, if one single bird fell to the ground, God sees it. I can't see it. I'm there in Abilene, and if one falls, unless it hits me in the head as it is falling to the ground, I'm not seeing one of those dead birds. If I did, I would be happy, but I'm not seeing it. All I know is that there's a bunch of birds up in the sky. And yet what Jesus says is that even if one of those birds falls to the ground, God sees it and he cares about it. And then he says, if he cares about that bird, how much more does he then care about you? If he cares about a single sparrow that falls from the sky, how much more does he care about you? Jesus wanted us to know this, though, that it wasn't just that he sees us. It's that he knows us. So he doesn't just say, if he he sees any sparrow that falls from the sky, he cares about it. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. Okay, for some of us, not that impressive, right? Enda? I just shaved my head because I was going bald. So, you know, not that impressive. But it says that he knows the amount of hairs on your head. But think about that. That's an ever-changing number, right? My, the hairs on my head will be different tomorrow than they are today. And two days from now, they're going to be different. And when I go home, they're going to be different. The amount of hairs on our head changes all the time. I've got little girls and I brush their hair and it's just pulling hairs out every time. 
Every single time, our, every day, every morning we wake up, every time we wash our hair, the amount of hairs on our head changes. And it says that he knows the amount of hairs on our head, which means that it isn't just that God saw you in the past. It isn't just that he will see you in the future. It's that God sees you now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day because if he knows the amount of hairs on your head, that will be different tomorrow. And so if he knows the amount of hairs on your head, that will be different Tuesday. It's not just that he saw you. It's not just that he will see you. It's that he sees you now. But we often feel like we're middle children to God. Okay? So I'm the oldest. Who's the oldest in here? Okay. So oldest kids, uh, we think that we're the best and that we're loved the most because we were first and because we are the best and we are loved the most. Okay. But then there's the younger kids. Who's a younger kid? I bet I could pick you out of the room. Not a shock. All right. Let's see. Todd. So the younger kids, us older kids, we look at you like, hey, you got it so easy. Man, your life, the rules that applied to me when I was growing up are way different than the rules that were applied to you. I remember when my brother got his first car, my mom called me, and I'm like 12 years older than my brother. So my mom called me. She's like, hey, come, come look at this car that we're buying Landon. I said, okay, I'll come look at it. So I pulled up in my old beaten up truck <laughs> that I had to buy myself because my parents bought me a car that had no air conditioning and it didn't have, when they showed it to me, it was a 1985 Jeep Cherokee and it had all four tires were flat and it had no air conditioning, which in Texas is basically the worst. So I pull up in my old beaten up truck that I bought on my own and I see this really nice, truck. And my mom says, Jeffrey, is this, is this too nice for Landon? I said, it was when I was turning 16. And so we older kids, we look at the younger kids, you know, we think you got it so easy, but we still feel like we're loved the most. But then there's middle kids. And middle kids often feel lost. They feel lost in the shuffle. They feel like the older kids get all this responsibility and they get all this because they were the first and the younger kids, everybody loves the younger kid and they get whatever they want without any rules. And then there's just the middle kids that are just lost. They're just stuck in the middle, lost. And that's how we feel like God feels about us. Here's the deal. There are no middle children in God's world. There's also no firstborn children, which is kind of disappointing. No babies. There's children created in his image, that he, because he is who he is, can look at individually and love infinitely each of us individually. See, who's an only child in here? Okay. You, you are the favorite all the time. <laughs> only kids are always the favorite. They get whatever their parents can possibly give them. That is what it's like, and that's how God views us. Not just as this glob of humanity, not just as older kids, middle kids, younger kids, but as kids that he wants to love. See, he sees you because he wants to. He doesn't have to. He's God. He can do literally whatever he wants. He sees you because he wants to see you. So if you leave with one thing and it's this, you matter to God. Okay, you are the only child. You're not the middle child having to share your parents. 
You're not, you're not the older child who's having all this responsibility to take care of your younger siblings. You're not the youngest kid being spoiled rotten by your parents. You are the only child loved infinitely by the one who created the universe into existence. You matter to God. Amen. That's what Matthew 10 says. If he cares for every sparrow that falls from the sky, how much more then will he care for you? But then we wrestle with why, right? I mean, we think, I know me. I know all of my faults. Let me tell you all the ways that I don't measure up. Let me tell you, I could write a book on the reasons that God should not love me. I could write you a story about why I should not be standing here. I, we can all give God a list of our faults. If I gave you a second and I said, you write down all the negative things about you and the reasons somebody shouldn't love you, we could write it down like that. And so we often hear that you matter to God and we're like, yeah, but I know me. And I know that God knows me and this person beside me not, might not know my story, but I know my story. Here's the deal. This is why you matter to God. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Notice the responsibility of the grass. Nothing. Notice the responsibility of the lilies. Nothing. It says God did it all anyway. So if he, he clothed the grass of the field, which did nothing, and it still is worthless enough that it's going to be thrown away tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? <laughs> I messed that up, not Rebecca. Let it be known, okay? I typed those in. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for, and there's why, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Yeah. Says, don't worry. For, think about the lilies. They're just little, little lilies. They've done nothing and yet they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't do any work. They just are. Think about the grass. It's worthless enough, and you have grass here. It's beautiful, okay? Everything in Texas is brown and ugly right now. You've got beautiful grass. You know what the grass is doing to grow? Nothing. It grows because rain comes down, because there's nutrients under the earth. It grows because God says, I'm going to let that grass grow, and even then it will be gone tomorrow. How much more, then, does he care about you? Because he's your heavenly Father. We'll view ourselves as his kids and not as his subjects. View ourselves as his kids and not things that are annoying him when we come to him and ask things. See, my kids, I've got two beautiful daughters. An eight-year-old named Berkeley, she's, she came over here a couple of years ago, wants to come back so bad. A six-year-old named Ellie, who I think if Sarah comes back to Ireland without Ellie, Ellie will riot. Okay. <laughs> she was mad when we talked to her yesterday. I love my girls, and they do dumb stuff sometimes, okay? They're my kids. <laughs> it's kind of expected. <laughs> they make bad decisions. They make each other cry. They punch each other. They say bad things to each other. They do things that I wish that they did not do. You know what? I love them. There is nothing at all they could possibly ever do that will take away my love for them because they are my kids. I am their father. And what scripture says, if you then, there will go, actually, let me say this. There you go. God sees us, we matter because we're his kids. 
Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Right? What parent is going to go, your kid's like, I'm Emma, I'm hungry. Well, Angela said no, so. <laughs> she is 23. She can take care of herself. Also, just sidebar, if you haven't eaten anything from Rachel's place, it's open after church. I've eaten there every single day that we've been here, okay? I need to leave this place, otherwise I'm going to be super fat. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? It's like no one, no parent, if a kid says, I'm hungry, is going to throw a rock at them. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, which is not very nice for him to say, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to you? He says, listen, if you broken, messed up, moron parents know the things that your kid need and you want to give them to them because you love them, if that is what you want, then how much more will a perfect father want to give good things to his kids who he loves perfectly? See, as much as I love my girls, I cannot love them perfectly. I am not perfect. They will agree. Yet the father is always perfect. He cannot not be perfect. And if he who is perfect is our father, which it says in Matthew 10, if, if that is how he is to us, not as we're a little ant, we're a little subject, we're just down on the earth, but if he loves us because he is Abba, he is our father, then how much more does he care about us than, than anything else? He loves us, he sees us, and we matter to him because we are his kids. So for you, what does that mean? If we believe it, it changes everything. Or we can pretend that we believe it and it changes nothing. We see in scripture that God, see, he, we're, he's called father a bunch of times. And we think, well, you know, I have, mm-hmm, father. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of just live life like he's God up there. And we'll be like, I know that it says he's my father, but, but really, you know, he's God up there. But if we really believe what it says in scripture that he is your heavenly father, and if we who are broken parents who are not giving our kids a stone when they are hungry or giving our kids what they need, if that is who he is, then it should change our approach and our relationship to God. It should make us respond to him differently. That we're not just coming to him when we're desperate and broken and have nowhere else to turn. It means we should turn to him whenever the littlest thing happens. I got a headache later today. Instead of going, well, you know, God's dealing with all this over here. I'm not going to inconvenience him with my little thing that doesn't feel great. He's your Abba, Heavenly Father. He wants you to come to him with anything. If my kids come to me and they're like, Dad, I just, I don't feel great. I'm not going to go, go away, child. I'm going to go, come here. Let me love on you. Let me comfort you. When they're scared, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick them up in my arms and tell them, Daddy got you safe. You're good. Even though they don't know that I cannot really keep them safe. Look at me. But I'm Dad. And when we view God as that, it changes the way we do everything. We come to him when we're scared, when we're worried, when we're overwhelmed. We feel like we've got nowhere else to turn. But also, whenever just little stuff goes wrong. Whenever I wake up and I'm just in a bad mood, whenever I, I'm just not feeling great, whenever I'm not totally sure how ends are going to meet, and instead of me deciding I'm just going to take care of it all on my own, I go, hey, God, I need you. When we relate to God as Father, instead of as God way up in the heavens, distant and far away, and I'm one in seven billion, it changes everything. See, God doesn't see 
a mass of humanity, he sees seven billion individuals one by one because that's what a father does. I don't look at my kids as my kids. I have Berkeley, and I can tell you all the intricate things about her as a child. And I have Ellie, and I can tell you all the things about her as a child. And they are not one. I love them each individually for all that they are, all, that they, all their fun personalities, all their quirks, all their sarcasm, all the joy that they bring. I love them each individually. And that is how God loves us. God sees you, and you matter to him because you're his kid. And he sees each of us individually, one by one. Why don't you bow your heads? Father, I thank you uh, for this place. I thank you for these people. Lord, I ask that you would just give us the grace to see ourselves the way you see us. Would you give us the grace? Would you open our eyes just for a glimpse to feel what you feel about us? Or the way that you created us, Psalms 139 says, was on purpose. You created my inmost being, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, we know that full well. We believe that verse that says, if you care for every sparrow that falls from the sky, how much more do you care for us? And if we who are broken parents know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more do you, a perfect father, know how to give good gifts to your kids? Lord, would you allow our eyes to be open to you as Abba, Father, not just as distant God up in the heavens. It's in your name we pray. Amen.